following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. If you look up at the screen, this plant is about nine feet tall. Now, there's a few of you who are green thumbers, and you probably look at this, and maybe you can identify what this plant is. If you're a black thumber, like me, you look at it and you go, that's a really big bush or maybe a really small tree. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But in actuality, this is one of the largest weeds ever recorded. (laughs) One of the largest weeds ever recorded. Its size, its sheer size makes you look at it and maybe think it's, a, it's some kind of healthy bush or tree. But despite its appearance, it is nothing more than a weed. We all, I'm assuming, we all want to be mature in our faith, right? We want to grow. We want to mature. I'm, I'm assuming that's part of the reason why you're here today, why you've gathered in this room. But we also know that we are fallen, broken people who live in depraved human flesh. And we know that we can very easily deceive ourselves or even manipulate others into thinking that we are developing a mature and healthy spiritual life even as we merely cultivate weeds. Weeds that might look nice, weeds that might look healthy, but nothing more than weeds. And so as we open Colossians chapter 2 today, the question we want to ask ourselves is, okay, but how do I know How do I know when my faith is growing mutant? How do I know when I'm cultivating some giant healthy looking weed and when I am growing in a a, a true maturity in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Fortunately for us, Paul's going to give us some answers in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 19. And in this passage, he's going to show us three important truths of true spiritual maturity. He's going to show us three truths that set apart the cultivation of a weed from true spiritual growth. And the first truth he's going to show us in verse 16 through 17 is that spiritual maturity is not a matter of activity. Spiritual maturity is not a matter of activity. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Okay, stop right there. Spiritual maturity is not a matter of activity. Paul begins here with one, one of our most helpful words in scripture when he says, therefore, 
right? Because whenever we see therefore, we know that this is connected to something that has come before it. And if you were here with us last week, you know, we talked last week about how the best human philosophies and reason and thinking does nothing more than oppress us deeper and deeper into the slavery of the human flesh. But in submission to Christ, there is freedom. There is true freedom because it's not about our broken flesh. It's about the perfection of Jesus Christ. So freedom comes when we submit to Christ. And with that being said, he says, okay, therefore, right? Since you understand that human philosophy and reason leads to oppression, but in Christ, submission to Christ, there is freedom. Therefore, he says, don't be judged by, he gives us two things. He says, first, food and drink regulations. Don't be judged by food and drink regulations. And then he says, don't be judged by religious festivals. Okay, let's break these down a little bit. First, he says, don't be judged by food or drink. He's, he's talking about dietary rules and restrictions. See, if you've studied your Old Testament, you know that in the Old Testament, there were lots of dietary restrictions for the Jewish people. And what that was about was, it was about distinguishing between the clean and the unclean. It was really a matter of God setting his people apart from the peoples around them, from the world around them, from the nations around them. If you go back to the the book of Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus 20 verses 25 through 26 says this, God says, therefore, you are to distinguish the clean animal from the unclean one and the unclean bird from the clean one. Do not be contaminated by any land animal, bird, or whatever crawls around the ground. I have set these apart as unclean for you. You are to be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Right, and then listen, this is is what he says next. And I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. All of the, the, the Old Testament rules about clean and unclean We're about setting God's people apart from those around him. Saying, you are mine. Don't be like these people. Don't be like the nations around you. You are set apart. And in the Old Testament, that was done through the regulations of the law, the clean and the unclean animals, clean and unclean food, all of this stuff. But, but, we understand that none of that actually brought purity to the people. That was the standard. If you want to do your works to be holy and good and righteous before me, do all of this, be clean and completely set apart. But God was showing them they couldn't do it. Why? Because the activity couldn't make them holy. Purity and holiness is only found in Jesus' blood, not in the food that's eaten. God shows us this in in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10. If you remember the story, right, Peter is is praying, and God's going to send Peter to some some Gentiles, not Jews, not the clean people, not the right people. But God sends him this vision, and he lets down this blanket with all of the unclean animals. You remember what God says to him? He says, rise, kill, eat. Peter's like, whoa, 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 God, no, 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 no. I know the law. I know I'm not supposed to eat that stuff. I've never done it before. I'm not going to do it now. 
And in Acts chapter 10, verse 15, God says, what I have made clean, you don't call unclean. Because God says, listen, it's not about what you eat that makes you right with me. It's about Jesus' blood that makes you right. And furthermore, God's people, his children, the church, you and me, we are still distinguished from the nations around us, from the peoples around us, but it's not by what we eat. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. In Galatians chapter three, verse 27 through 29, we read, for those who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is talking about salvation, in salvation, in Jesus' blood, there is no distinction between any person. Why? Because it's not about what we eat. It's about the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So God speaks through Paul here and he says, listen, it's not what you eat that is going to make you holy. It's not by adhering to this dietary law or that dietary law that's going to make you right with me because it's not what goes in you that makes you unholy or impure. It's what comes out of you. It's the outpouring of your heart. So Paul says, don't let anybody judge you based on food or drink, because that's not a matter of holiness. But then he says something else, right? He says, he says, you also can't look at the religious festivals. Religious festivals don't make you holy or set you apart. And to understand what he's saying here, we have to understand the false teaching that was going around. Remember, we talked about this at the very beginning of this book. Paul is constantly coming back to these false teachers who are trying to bring extra laws and extra regulations into the church, saying, no, 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 you need Jesus, yes, but you also need this stuff in order to be good and holy and pure and be worthy before the Lord. And one of the things they were bringing in were these religious festivals, because the false teachers were demanding that the Christians follow all of the Jewish calendar as, as a mark of their spiritual standing before the Lord. If you keep this, if you do this, and you go to this festival, and you keep this ritual, and you do this, then you're good. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not what sets us apart. That's not what makes us holy or right. Right? And, and I'm not saying that religious calendars are bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate Christmas and Easter because they're religious calendars and we don't want to be those kind of people. No, 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 that's not it. Right? The religious calendar can be a good thing. It's a great reminder for us. It's a great time for us to celebrate what God has done and who he is to have that, uh, that, that remembrance. Those things are great. They can even be helpful, but they don't make us holy. They don't save us. They don't deliver us from ourselves. Paul goes on, and in verse 17, he makes this distinction between the dietary laws and the religious festivals. And he says, these are a shadow, right? But Christ is the substance. This was a, a common philosophical language in the first century that, that Paul's audience would have understood. And, and what he's talking about here, if you go back and, and you study this, the shadow is something that looks real, but isn't. Think about your shadow. Let's, let's pretend it's sunny outside. Let's pretend it's a nice sunny day. And we walk outside and the sun's behind you and you see a shadow of yourself. And that shadow kind of, 
kind of looks like you, right? If you move your arm, it moves just like you would move. You can make it dance if you want to make it dance. I'm not going to dance. I thought about it for a second. I said, we're not going to go there. You can make it dance. You can make it move. You can make it do all the things that you do. But there's nothing to it, right? You know that's not you. It's just a shadow. But Christ is the substance. He's the real thing. Jesus Christ is the substance of purity and salvation. Everything you do, all our rituals, all our acts, those are a shadow. But Christ is the substance. Maturity, spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ, it's not about how you appear. It's not about the shadow. It's about who you are. It's the substance of your union with Jesus Christ. Being kind, being nice to your neighbor, coming to church, abstaining from alcohol and drugs, reading your Bible, praying with your family. Those are all good things. Those are all proper and fitting things but they don't save you and they don't make you mature in Christ just by doing the action. They may be a fruit of your faith. They may be a fruit of your maturity, but just doing the action does not make you mature because you can be grossly immature. You can hold selfish motives. You can operate with a completely Christless heart and still do every one of those things that I just mentioned. In Amos, Old Testament book of Amos, chapter four, verse four through five, there's a call to the people of Israel who have rejected the Lord. They still try to keep up with the religious aspects of their, their culture, but it's all about them. And in verses four through five, you get this, it's almost a mocking of the Israelite people. Because God speaks through Amos and he says, come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Now Bethel and Gilgal were centers of the Jewish worship in the nation of Israel. And he says, come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tents every three days. Offer leavened bread as a, a Thanksgiving sacrifice and loudly pro proclaim your free will offerings for that is what you Israelites love to do. And the whole rest of this chapter talks about how, yeah, they do everything God told them to do. They, they try to follow the, the letter of the law, but their hearts are far from him. And, and later <clears throat> in, this, in this book, God even says to them, he says, listen, take your festivals and your songs away from me. I don't even want to hear your voices. You're saying the right words, you're singing the right songs, but I know you don't care for me. So get out of here, right? They did everything they were supposed to do. Their activities looked faithful and mature, but the substance of their faith was lacking. They were only shadows. I could go home today 
I could take my bed. I could set it out in the garage. I could sleep in the garage tonight. I could wake up tomorrow morning and everywhere I go, I could make vroom vroom sounds. You know what? I'm not a car. Because <laughs> I'm not a car. I can pretend I'm whatever I want. I can be a shadow of a car. That's not what I am. Maturity isn't about how one looks according to your standards or my standards or any human standards. It's about how we stack up to God's calling in our lives. As we think about spiritual maturity, if we're honest with ourselves, do we put too much emphasis on what we do and not enough on who we are? See, maturity is not a matter of activity. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on, and in verse 18, he says, spiritual, matter, spiritual maturity is not a matter of sacrifice. Verse 18, spiritual maturity is not a matter of sacrifice. In verse 18, he writes, let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual minds. He says, spiritual maturity is not a matter of sacrifice. Remember in verse 16, he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or spiritual festivals. Now he says, don't let anyone condemn you. And he gives two more practices here. He says, the ascetic practices and the worship of angels. And what he's really saying is, don't be condemned by religious rituals. The ascetic practices, um, ascetic practices are really an act of self-humiliation. It's it's humbling oneself for the benefit of others to see. And and oftentimes it's used as, um, it's actually related to the food and drink idea that he's just talked about. If you you look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to his father, says, right, whenever you fast, that's a a food or drink regulation. He says, whenever you fast, do you remember what he says? Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. The self-humiliation, reminding themselves of how weak they are, right? That's part of fasting. But Jesus says the hypocrites do it so that everybody sees what they're doing. Oh, look, look at me. I'm, I haven't eaten in three days. I'm so hungry. I, I, must, be, I must be really spiritually pure, right? Because I'm so hungry. You're not as hungry as me. Maybe if you were as spiritual as me, you'd be as hungry as I am, but you're not. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. These ascetic practices, that's not what makes you holy. And and what's likely is that Paul is tying these ascetic practices to what he says next, which is the worship of angels. The ascetic practices were probably an act of preparation that the false teacher said, look, you you need to prepare to really worship. And if you do enough of these ascetic practices, you can ascend to the level where you can, you can practice the worship of angels. Now, if you, you study this, some scholars have, have a couple different takes on this. Some think that this is actually worshiping angels, like seeing angels as a deity. 
<laughs> I, that doesn't make sense. I, I don't think that's what, what is meant here because these false teachers are trying to add little things to the Christian faith to slowly pull the people away from dependence on Christ. Right? To worship angels is a, is a leap. What's probably meant here is that these false teachers say, listen, if you will do these ascetic practices, you will humiliate yourself, then you'll prepared, you'll be spiritual enough, you'll be able to ascend to a higher plane where you can worship like the angels worship, right? Because they're closer to God than we are. They sit in God's physical presence and worship him. If you do enough of these things, really bring yourself down, God's gonna lift you up where you can have this worship that not everybody else can have. The problem with this, both these ascetic practices and the worship of angels, is that they're both unbiblical and they're both ungrounded. And so they're not a measure of the Christian faith. You won't find anywhere in scripture where God says, if you will just fast, if you will just do this or do that, then I will raise you up to a special spiritual realm where in this life you can worship in a way that the people around you who aren't as spiritual as you, aren't as faithful, aren't as good as you, they can't worship this way. So let's try to get what you can get out of it, right? The prob- you know what the problem with that is? It's idolatry because it makes you the center of worship. If I just do this and I do that, then I'll receive this opportunity to do something that nobody else can do. <laughs> Paul says, listen, it, this, is, this is not a matter of, of sacrificing yourself, humiliating yourself, bringing yourself down. That's not what spiritual maturity is about. It's not about these religious rituals and practices. Now, this ties very closely to our last point. And in fact, the application of this is, is very much the same. Because what Paul's telling us here is that we cannot trust in our own instinctual assessment of spiritual maturity and of the salvation of, of ourselves or, or others. Because this kind of stuff, if, let's be honest for a second. Wouldn't we all like it if God said, you want to be spiritually mature? All you got to do, A, B, C, D, and you're there. Super easy. Simple roadmap, right? Do you, don't you want that? I do. Maybe you don't. I do. I want God to just go down That's super easy. Just, here you go. It's not the way it works. And so, because it doesn't work that simply, we don't get to look at people and go, you look like you've reached the certain spiritual plane, so you must be faithful. You must be mature. You wear the right clothes. You talk the right way. You use the right word. So you must be mature and faithful. It's been said many times that we'll be surprised at who we see in heaven and who we won't. And that is a sadly and humblingly true statement. Skin Jesus himself gives us one of the most terrifying passages in scripture at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. And listen, if this doesn't terrify you, it should because you haven't thought through the implications of this. But he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And do you remember who Jesus is preaching to here? It's not the church, and then across the aisle is a bunch of people who wanted nothing to do with him. He's preaching to a bunch of people who are following him, who claim to be his followers. And he says, listen, you prophesied, cast out demons, that's great, but your hearts were far from me. What you did is not what makes you pure, is not what brings salvation. It's faith in me. Jesus says there will those who seem humble, who worship weekly in church, who tithe consistently, who teach Bible studies, who are pastors and elders at churches, and they are damned to hell because they built the assurance of their faith on their religious efforts instead of Jesus' sacrifice. Listen, if that doesn't terrify you, I don't know what will. Maturity and salvation aren't marked by what you and I can give It's marked by what Jesus has already given. And so we have to ask ourselves, upon whose gifts do we put the emphasis? Whose gift is the the truth that we abide by? Is it ours? Is it those around us? Or is it Jesus? Spiritual maturity is not a matter of activity or sacrifice. Okay, great. We've just spent 20-some-odd minutes talking about what spiritual maturity is not. So what is it? And Paul tells us in, in verse 19, he says, spiritual maturity is a matter of surrender. Spiritual maturity is not about activity or sacrifice. It is about surrender. He closes this, this paragraph, and he says, he, and he here are, 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 is, is the one who um, builds their faith upon what they do and their religious practices, and they have this inflated idea of who they are because they think it's all about them. He says, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with the growth from God. He says, nothing makes you mature. None of your efforts, none of your abilities. Your spiritual maturity comes as a result of surrender to Jesus Christ. Right here, he said that those who, who trust in the flesh, those who trust in what they can do, what they can offer, what they bring to the table, they separate themselves from God. They separate themselves from the head. Quick question. What do you call a body without a head? Dead. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. He says, look, those who built their, their salvation on their efforts, they've separated themselves from the head. They are dead. But those who are connected to the head, they grow with God's growth through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit's power, by God's grace. That comes when we are connected, when we have submitted and surrendered ourselves 
a healthy faith, a healthy, growing, maturing faith is always and above all else connected to Christ's person and work. Again, we go back to the book of Galatians chapter two, verse 16. Paul writes, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, right? What you can do, what you can offer, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul says, do all you want to do. Get it all right. It's not going to be enough. Because you are broken and flawed and sinful. You're only justified by faith in Jesus Christ. While the false teachers focused on people growing from their own efforts, the faithful believer knows that growth and maturity comes only from Jesus. False religion will always root itself in the human ability to transcend. That's what we saw in verses 16 through 18. This idea that if you are good enough, if you do enough, you will transcend. This is selfish, this is arrogant, and this is idolatrous. Because when you come into any kind of religion, you're like, I don't know if this is false or true. They talk about Jesus some. Look at what you have to do for salvation. Look at what it requires of you to earn your salvation. Because a false religion will always say, you have to do this and you have to get this right. Yeah, Jesus is good. You might, you might need Jesus, but you need all this stuff too. The problem with it is it's just not true because it says that we can rise up and receive what we deserve because of the activity of our lives. That's not what Jesus tells us. It says while we were dead, Christ died for us. While we were lost to our sin, our trespasses, Jesus came and gave his life for us. He says, it's not because you're good enough, not because you can earn it, but simply because of his love. True faith is never about our victory. It's about surrender to the one who is truly victorious. True faith is about remembering God's incredible power to create the heavens and the earth with nothing but a word from his mouth to remember God's faithfulness, to continue to pursue his children who reject him and turn from him and run from him, to remember God's forgiveness, which again, we reject time and time again. It's to remember God's love and sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly, died sacrificially and rose victoriously to deliver us completely from the brokenness of our flesh, which we could never overcome. It's never about our victory. It's about the victory of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I don't have work to do. We do. Right? And again, I won't speak for you, but I know I got lots of work to do. 
We should seek to love God more deeply, to give more sacrificially, to serve more faithfully, to learn with more fervency, to know the Lord more intimately, but not as a means of earning God's grace or of displaying God's grace. Like, look how good I am. Look look at what I've done. We seek to walk more closely with Christ because we know that life is only truly life when it is his life. It's more joyful, it's more hope-filled, it's more satisfying, it's more sustaining than anything we could imagine by our best efforts. And the better we know this, the more freely we surrender and the more mature we become because we learn to surrender more and more and more. Because spiritual maturity is not about activity or sacrifice, it's about our surrender to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If I were to have walked in this room today and come up front and pulled out a sippy cup and nursed that sippy cup through the entire service and then said a few words, laid down right here, curled up in the fetal position and fell asleep, sucking my thumb the whole time. You'd think I was crazy, right? Please tell me you would think I was a little bit crazy. But if one of our kids back in the nursery did that, you'd all think it's super cute, right? Yeah, absolutely. What's the difference? The difference is I'm not an infant. I'm I'm a mature-ish adult. You expect more from me, and I should expect more from myself. And the same is true in our faith. We were never meant to be saved and then sit on the sidelines like children waiting for Christ to return and take us home. We are called to grow and mature, to become more and more Christ-like in the way we live out our faith so that others can come to know the hope of salvation in our Lord and Savior that God has revealed to us. But we always have to remember that spiritual maturity isn't a matter of activity or even sacrifice. Those are important. Again, I'm not saying they're not, but they are an outgrowth of spiritual maturity. Our spiritual maturity grows and increases when we learn to surrender more and more to the power of the Holy Spirit pouring out on us through Jesus as an expression of the love and faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. Church family, may we never allow ourselves to be duped by superficiality and to make our judgments about ourselves or others a matter of the flesh. We should observe and assess spiritual fruit, holding one another accountable, yes. But may we never forget that it is Christ alone who declares us faithful, righteous, and mature before him. So let us live lives of glorious and joyful surrender as we continue to mature in our theology, in our activity, and in our relationships with God and with one another. 
knowing that it is Christ and Christ alone who makes us who he has called us to be. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the truth and the blessing of your word. And we thank you that in a world and, and Father, if we're honest, even in a, a church culture that says in order to be made right with you, yeah, we need Jesus and all that, but we have to look a certain way. We have to use the right terminology. We have to be this thing. And yet, Father, we are so grateful that you are clear to us that that thing is merely a shadow and that the substance is your son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone. And as we understand that and know that, Father, may we come time and time again before your throne, repenting of our sin, falling before you, asking you to do the work in us that only you can do, to bring the maturity and the joy and the hope of salvation, not because we've done enough, but because we know you have done everything. And may the blessing of that truth stir in our hearts and bring us to surrender, to lay our, our lives down before you, to give you everything because you've already given us everything. May we surrender not just once with a proclamation of faith and a joy of salvation, as great as that is, but may we surrender day after day, moment after moment, blink of an eye after blink of an eye, because we know that you are God. You have loved us. And we don't need anything else. We love you. We thank you. And in your great and your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.